Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I am Dr. Russ McCullough, founder of the Gorky Institute here at Ottawa University, and I hold the Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. And this is our Faith in Economics podcast, where today we're exploring philosophy. Uh, my co-host is Dr. Justin Clark, who holds the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics here at Ottawa. And uh, we're going to talk more about free will today. So this is kind of a part two adding on to what we did before. And the topic is libertarianism, which uh, Justin has told me is not the political type. So I'm not sure what all that means. And I'll let Justin bring us into that. Yeah, so uh, the second position on the freedom of the will is one that's called libertarianism. And as Russ mentioned, this is different from political libertarianism. And it's really a shame that we have these two different theories about the way the world is, and they both share the exact same name because they often get confused. So if we remember that determinism is the idea that all your actions are completely determined and therefore that you do not have free will. Libertarianism is the claim that all our actions uh, is essentially the negation of determinism. It's not the case that all our actions are determined and it is the case that we have free will. So this doesn't mean that every single one of our actions is free or that we don't face any constraints, but the thesis, the, the theory is that at least some of our actions and at least some of the time, it is the case that we could have done otherwise than we actually do. It was possible for us to act differently than we acted. So it's, uh, it's fairly weak in that response in terms of proving the difference, like at least one, like, is that which then so it's not wouldn't you call that kind of a weak form argument maybe or something that you only have to do one thing to overturn it yes um yeah since it's i'm not sure if i'm using the proper philosophical terms <laughs> or not but to me that's that's what came to mind yeah if there's any actions which are free in the sense that an agent could have done otherwise and that they therefore have free will then libertarianism um, is true. Okay. All right. So um, the problem with libertarianism is that it seems... Yeah, I kind of want to ask you, like, should I be for libertarianism or not? Or is this, <laughs> this is just, like, I kind of want to know going into it, which I know is totally unfair. Like, uh, but <laughs> have you ever done that where you're like, should I be looking at this with a critical eye or... or... Should I be skeptical or not? But okay, whatever. Yeah, I usually take the opposite approach. Say, <laughs> well, which thing am I not supposed to believe? That's what I'll believe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you're right when you say that, well, this sounds like an easy theory, right? At least if some of our actions are free, then then libertarianism is true. Well, that's a gimme. There we go. Libertarianism right. is true, right? right? I so, can pick Cheerios or something. or yeah. of, I could have picked Frosted Flakes. The problem with libertarianism 
is that it is completely at odds with our scientific picture of the world. Oh, okay. And it is unclear what libertarians mean when they say that they could have done otherwise. Okay. So if we, if you think back to our discussion about determinism and we say like, look, um, I can let you choose between A and B, right? It seems like a choose to, I'll let you choose when to push the button. That seems like as free a choice as there could be. Mm -hmm. But if, if we look at, on the physical level, uh, if we have a physicist or, you know, a neuroscientist look at your brain uh, as this, these things are happening, all we see are physical processes. And physics is causally closed in the sense that um, what counts as a cause in physics is only and can only be, by definition, another element of physics. Mm. So it seems like we have this uh, picture of the world whereby the world unfolds according to the laws of physics where events cause other events. Okay, back to the scientific aspect. Yes, and um, the problem is that it seems like uh, for, you know, for libertarians what would have to happen is that somehow something would have to come from outside physics and come in and influence a physical event oh. in order to get a physical system like a human being to press a button. Um, our choices are either the unfolding of the physical system causes the physical system to press the button, right? Which is you pressing the button. And that just means, you know, your brain states cause, caused you to press the button. What caused your brain states? The previous brain state. Um, you know, what caused that? Well, you know, inputs and, uh, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's one option, but that's determinism. And the other option, which is uh, libertarianism, is no, no, no. It's, at some point, uh, something comes from outside physics and gets that physical system to do something. Um, and it's a little unclear how we how that does happen or even how it could happen because like we said, our picture within physics, the only thing that affects physical systems are things described in the language of physics. And there's no such uh, thing as a will um, in any physical laws. Yeah. So I'm struggling a little bit with the closed system part. Um, I guess, help me out. Try to uh, tell me again what you said about the, there's always cause and effect. So, but I still like what, well, what's the origin then is, is what like, was there an external thing or is that still within the closed system or not? Um, like, where did it all come from? Where did it start? Uh, where it all came from or where it started won't really affect the physics, the, uh, the picture of the world as physics has it now, right? Um, a physicist could say, I believe that a God created the universe. And then after that creation moment, though, everything has evolved according to the laws of physics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so um, whether or not that initial moment was, uh, can be explained within physics or outside of physics is a little bit different than this claim that 
well, within physics, you know, in time now, oh. physics, the, uh, the physical system as analyzed by physics is causally closed in the sense that nothing. Um, okay. So in a timeline from beginning to infinity, the physics system is like, well, just take any chunk of time basically. Yeah. And that was causal in between. Yeah. Okay. And okay. now or closed. Rather. A number of other physicists also say, and in addition, there's nothing outside of, uh, you know, time or whatever. Uh, but you wouldn't have to make that claim to be, uh, to be libertarianism or, or to be a determinist. Right. Which is or, what, or right. I yeah. guess we're talking about determinists. Um, okay. So, uh, you're right that it takes, you know, um, it's very, it's very, very easy to conceive of what would disprove determinism and therefore make libertarianism plausible, which is all we need is at least one free act, right? Mm -hmm. um, the problem is that it's very, very hard when you try to think about how we would uh, come to discover or test come up with a test that would show that any given act is free, right? Because our entire conception of what testing is, is physics, mm -hmm. right? Um, so um, you can see the <laughs> conundrum. You can, yeah, <laughs> you can see the, uh, the determinist argument as something like, look, um, if physics is, uh, causally closed and the best interpretation of the world we see around us, then we are, we're determined. Mm -hmm. And since it's obviously true that physics is blah, 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 then, uh, then we're determined. Okay. Now here is where uh, a libertarian might say, okay, I agree with uh, your first premise if physics is causally closed and the best interpretation of the world we see around us, then we're determined. Mm -hmm. um, I agree with that. But then you go and physics is causally closed and it is obviously the best um, uh, explanation of what goes on around us. And your conclusion is therefore we're determined. I'm actually going to put that argument in a different order. I'm going to say um, if physics is causally closed and uh, the best explanation for what goes on around us, then we are determined. But we're not determined. Therefore, physics must not be causally closed or the best explanation of what things are going around us. That sounds and, like a philosophical sleight of hand almost. Okay. Uh, it is. Um, so so it's, it's similar to this move G.E. Moore pulled in the 1920s when, uh, you know, he said, I've got an argument against skepticism, which is this idea that we don't ever really know anything about the outside, that a world exists outside our heads because we can always be deceived. Uh, so we don't know whether there's an external world. And G.E. Moore goes, here's a hand. Here's another hand. These are hands. They're <laughs> external things. Therefore, skepticism is wrong. <laughs> and I mean, the point isn't that uh, like people are supposed to go, oh my God, this guy knows that there's a hand, right? <laughs> the point when you switch that up, and this is the same thing that I think, um, you know, libertarians want to do in the free will debate is to say, it's, it's unclear why you are so certain of the premise that physics is uh, 
causally closed and the best explanation for what goes on around us, I am much more certain, and it seems to me to be uh, something you know, that I'm much more certain of than any physical law, it's just apparent to me that I could have done otherwise. I'm more certain of that than I am of anything else that you could convince me of. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to use that as a premise um, rather than... Um, Which is darn near assuming the truth. Uh, yes, but um, <laughs> when you put it that way, you kind of realize that, oh, well, the determinist premise is also assuming yeah, the truth, right? right? right, right. Um, so uh, I think it's, it's either Roderick Chisholm or Peter Van Inwagen. I get these two mixed up, but um, one of them said, look, you know, the way you can think of your life is kind of like a, a garden of forking paths. And this is imagery he gets from uh, Borges, who's an uh, author, um, where it's like you come to these points in your life when you could go one way or you could go the other way. And if you are a libertarian, you think that your life really is this kind of garden of forking paths. Okay, right. Um, But if you are a determinist, you have to think that there is no fork on your path, right? Yeah. You are always going along that same path. And even though it feels like you can do different, and, you know, when you regret the choices in your life, um, you definitely think you could have done differently. Yeah. When you are punished for your actions, you are, uh, you know, everybody else thinks you could have done differently. Um, so this kind of brings me to a thought from my old philosophy professor, Dr. Scottegard, who I'm not sure is still alive or not at Anoka Ramsey Community College. Um, he was bringing up these arguments of, of time, I guess it was at the time. And I, I'm, I'm guessing it was related to determinism or something, but it was, I think he was tying it into God, uh, whether the fact that God knows what you're going to do means that it's deterministic, right? So kind of bringing a little bit of God into the picture, I guess. Um, And he said, well, we think we had a choice, but maybe there was a boulder behind door number one that we would have never been able to go through door number one anyway. And so just because we chose door number two, we didn't ever find out that we couldn't go through door number one. I don't know. Just trying to, I don't know if you've heard any sort of analogy similar to that, but like we never could have done it anyway. But the fact that we still made the choice means that there was free will, even though we, we never would have been able to go there anyway. So this was a little bit more of God looking at maybe your life path that just because he knows what you're going to do doesn't mean that he made you do it or that it took away your free will. I don't know, does any part of that resonate with this argument or am I way off base? Uh, yeah, so uh, it sounds like you might have been talking about something which are they're called Frankfurt cases now because Harry G. Frankfurt came okay. up with them. But his Frankfurt's idea, and we, we'll get more into this in the compatibilist section, is that um, you can still be morally responsible and your actions can still be free even if you couldn't have done otherwise. Okay. Um, and... So like a Frankfurt case is, uh, you know, off the top of my head, it's something like, well, um, you know, say a man, uh, you, uh, you give somebody the two buttons and one says, you know, and you say you have to press one of the buttons and I go, okay. And one of them says, kill my wife. And the other one says, uh, you know, spare my wife's life. Right. <laughs> and he presses kill my wife and his wife dies. Right. 
Um, is he guilty of murder? <laughs> oh, yes, right? <laughs> but what if you go, oh, no, he wasn't guilty of murder because we also rigged the other button to kill his wife, too. So whatever he pressed, she was doing. <laughs> you know, uh, so it's like, uh, like, even if you couldn't have done otherwise, if, yeah. you, if you chose it, it's, you're, you're responsible. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you still have moral responsibility. Yeah. But the fact that you chose to kill my wife, but yeah, yeah even it, though your wife was going to be killed either way. Even if you couldn't have done otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, okay. Um, but that's compatibilism. So we'll talk about that the next time. Okay. Um, so okay. Uh, the Vanian Wagon or, or Chisholm, whichever one, is the one with Garden of Forking Paths, right? Okay. And that we really do have these uh, paths. In True our life. free choice paths yeah. and, that um, lead to different outcomes. And he goes, look, uh, I don't know what happens physically at that point where you choose. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have a, a great uh, story to tell you about, uh, you know, what that means other than you could have done otherwise. It just seems obvious to me that there are these points where you could have done otherwise than you do. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the determinist attempt to deny that just seems to fly in the face of the psychological reality that is so primary and so and for all of and us is obvious. Right. Yeah. Or it seems um, obvious to all of us. Yeah. You know, uh, I think it's, um, so it's kind of like saying that the evidence suggests otherwise, like I do this all the time. I well, could do this or I could do that. counts as evidence, right? Because the determinist that counts as evidence is physics, right? And the, libertarians go what counts as evidence is your lived experience okay right? um, okay yeah uh the pheno- the phenomenology of it how it feels to you to make a decision i mean this is an example um, that uh, john searle u- uses when he says you know if you're a determinist you believe that you know you can't do anything other than the, than what you do you know it's, but you can't sit down at a table and when the waiter comes over says what would you like for, you know, have you made a choice yet? You can't say, well, I'm a determinist, so I'm just going to wait and see what I decide. <laughs> you actually, you have, to, you have to make a decision. You have to live your life as if you are making choices. Um, All right. Well, on that dinner note, this looks like a good spot to, to take our break. So when we come back, we'll let uh, Justin tell us what side of the fence he's on so far, even though we haven't explored everything. I know this... Uh, personal revelation might be tough for him because he wants to stick in the textbook but we'll see what he says we'll be back in just a little bit Institute is seeking a graduate assistant. Earn your MBA with full tuition by participating in fun and impactful events. For more information, check out the Gortney Institute website. To ask a question for our mailbag, send us an email at info at or call us at 785 the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Justin or Russ today.
Okay, welcome back. So, Justin, I'm going to try to pin you down on what's your angle on this. Are you a determinist or a libertarian, which I know where your political leanings are, but you said strictly this is not political. This is on this whole free will concept. So where are you leaning? Neither. Because <laughs> compatibilism, our, our yeah, last one is going to be where we go. Okay. I told you there's a third option. I, how could there even be a third degree after this? It seems, I guess it could be. Uh, that, that'll be exciting, listeners. We'll, we'll learn on part three here where compatibilism goes. Because to tell you the truth, I have no clue myself. So, all right. So con- continue on with libertarianism, where we're going to go from here. So we've talked about um, how causation seems to be a physical concept and it seems like once once we make appeals to causation uh determinists say yes exactly causation and since causation is physical and since physics is the is the science that studies causation you're just a physical system and you must operate according to physical law now uh some libertarians it's just so non-human it's like we're all just robot computers going through the motions it's just it seems so wrong <laughs> so okay well, that's because that's the way you were designed. <laughs> so, and again, I can't remember which one of this is Chisholm or Banyan Wagon, but one of the two has a an essay where they say, what we actually need is um, a different conception of causation. We have event causation, which is when one event directly causes another event, and that is what physics is about. Okay. But there's another way things can be caused, and that is by agents. Um, so we should also have agent causation. Um, somebody else, I mean, when I think agent, I'm thinking of somebody else acting on someone else's behalf. So this, an agent in philosophy is just anybody who acts. Right? Okay. Um, so this is just, I mean, you might call it like personal causation or okay. something, right? Okay. So, um, and Chisholm says, look, for most of the time, most of the things in the world operate according to event causation. Um, that's the way, you know, continental drift operates according to event causation. But at those times, at those forks in the road, we need a conception of causation that does justice to our uh, phenomenology of, you know, we feel like we make a decision, we make a choice. And so we ought not there to say that, you know, my brain state caused me to do mm-hmm. X or whatever. Uh, what's really going on there is, is agent causation. That is, um, an agent decides to do one thing or the other. A person decides to do one thing or, or another, and therefore a person caused it. Yeah. Now, uh, I mean, you're starting to sound like Jim Buchanan here a little bit with, uh, and I'm talking about James Buchanan, the Nobel uh, Prize winning economist, that uh, the public doesn't exist. So let's, let's talk about individuals making decisions. That uh, it always boils down to the individual. Yeah, as opposed so, to, you know, uh, the government or the school, the school made a change in policy. No, the school really didn't make a change of policy. There was a group of administrators that sat in an office and maybe they collectively had interactions, but ultimately it all came down from human beings. So I think it's perfectly fine to say things like, uh, when we say things like the school made a change in policy, we should note that what we really mean is administrators do that. Yeah. But... I don't think, and this is another one of my, uh, you know, takes, I think, uh, <laughs> uh, 
people who I like say the wrong thing. I don't think that you ought to say things like the public doesn't exist or the you know schools don't exist. In philosophy, this is called uh, nominalism, this view that abstract objects don't exist and only concrete object ex objects exist. Um, and uh, I mean, it's kind of a shortcut thing, right? I mean, but I think the problem with the shortcut is that people tend to think too abstractly that there's something else out there that's outside of individual human decision makers. But yeah, we, we say the school made a decision because we don't want to say, oh, well, it's the, the collection of administrators that, you know, whatever, the yeah. boil it down to the individuals. But I think over time, as we start to use those shortcuts over and over, we start to all of a sudden have this picture of another entity that's non-human somehow. And maybe I'm pushing that too far, but. But there are plenty of entities that aren't human, right? And there's a bunch of abstract entities too. Uh, so my, none that make yeah. decisions though, is the point. Yeah. But they exist. Yeah. Right? yeah oh yeah, yeah. They exist. Yeah. So yeah. that's, yeah. that's my point. I'm cool with the existence. Yeah. Part. yeah. So, uh, so we shouldn't say such and such doesn't exist. Yeah. 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 I say such and such doesn't make decisions. I'll and still then, continue to say uh, that, yeah. but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, there's a good, cause sometimes you just have to just hit the point hard home and be short and sweet. <laughs> Even if you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> and you lose all your gains when, they, when people point out that you're wrong. Uh, so there's a, uh, there was an article in Philosophy of Mind by Gilbert Ryle. There's a book called The Concept of Mind. And he says that, you know, he has this picture of somebody giving a tour of the university. And he goes, you know, they showed me the cafeteria. You know, what a wonderful cafeteria it was. And, you know, this is the, um, this is our stadium. You know, this is the yeah. lecture hall. And they get to the end of it and they go, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I would love it. Uh, I'm really excited to see the university, though. <laughs> and I well, that's just what the university is, you know. Right. Yeah. So right. Um, these there's nothing parts. over and above those things, but yeah. it is. Yeah. A thing. So, um, <laughs> so back to agent causation, real quick, though. Okay. Because um, this is going to be a distinction between this view and compatibilism. Um, on the libertarian view. Agent causation and event causation um, have to act together and be distinct from each other. Okay. But they have to complement it. They have to be done in harmony in some way at, uh, the, at kind of at the same time or work together. Yeah. Uh, you know, one can't operate in isolation. I your guess. decision to eat the cheesecake rather than uh, the cherry pie has to be, you know, causally related to your seeing both the cheesecake and the cherry pie. Right. So mm -hmm. it's right, some, right. Right. Th those are events that cause in at some point agent causation has to jump in and do something that event causation doesn't do. Right. Because, yeah. Okay. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so on this view, then there is something that comes from outside physics as currently described by determinists and does some work in a physical system. Okay. Even though it might be like, if we were to think about uh, the amount of time or the quantity, it, it could be a very small fraction of the overall system. And that's why maybe we're having these types of discussions is that everything for the most part looks to be physical, but in reality, a fraction of a second of a decision actually caused a new chain of causal events to happen. See what I'm saying? 
Like the, the agent causation was, was relatively a small fraction, an important one, but a small fraction of the what's seen. Yes. Yeah. Um, Cause what we see is that, Oh, you ate the cheesecake, you put on a few pounds, you didn't make weight for a wrestling team, you know, whatever. Like you see that chain, but it all came from that decision, which was actually somewhat instantaneous. Like I'm going to eat the cheesecake instead of the, I'm changing it to a salad now since I brought in wrestling and losing weight, but yeah. Um, so uh, it can be a very small uh temporal space yes. in the order of events. Yes, yes, um, yes. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Um, and a lot of people say, yeah, you know, I, that seems to make sense to me. Um, there's, there is a problem with this view, though, uh, which is that uh, it's unclear what a kind of agent causation would mean um, if it's supposed to be indetermined in the sense that... Uh, is it random? Because randomness isn't what we want when we think of ourselves as choosing as choosing either, right? Yeah. Um, so if it's not randomness, then where on the scale between randomness and complete predictability do what's the position that freedom of where does freedom of the will what does that look like if it's not Complete, complete, complete determinism or randomness at these key moments, which are, of course, you know, very small temporal slices. Hmm. And so, um, and most, you know, a lot of people who argue for free will go, man, I don't know, but I just know I have free will, and I know I'm more <laughs> than, uh, I'm more certain of that than I am of anything else that you've said today. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I'm trying to even digest that because I you you got me thinking on the randomness to 100% certainty because I'm one to think that we don't really know anything with 100% certainty is one way. It, there's always a little bit of a leap of faith that um, I've looked both ways, you know, for a car crossing the road. I've looked left, I've looked right, I looked left again, and but do we really know that there's no car coming as we step out? Uh, yeah, 99.99, but can we say with 100% certainty that there wouldn't be a supersonic jet or something flying through or whatever that would you know, disrupt us crossing the road? I don't know. So I think we can know some things with 100% certainty. Like, I can know that by the end of this podcast, you'll have either killed me or not. <laughs> uh, but you might be saying like, well, I'm talking about empirical predictions about the future. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that, okay. Um, but that's what the yeah. killing me was too. So, uh, <laughs> but um, it's, it's, it's more of a problem to think like, okay, well then this, this kind of puts the ball back in a libertarian's court and says, well, then what do you mean by free will? If you don't mean random and you don't mean completely determined, what you mean is something like uh, kind of predictable, but there's a little wiggle room sometimes to be wild card. Um, 
I want to make sure that I'm understanding this in the right context. So, we, I, I mean, uh, we gather information and we make the decision between the cheesecake or salad. And so the question is, when I go back to that decision wasn't random, I mean, it was calculated at the time, but what do you mean by it wasn't determined? Like, I didn't know until I gathered more uncertain information whether I should do that and maybe it was the heat of the moment or I wasn't having some other traumatic event where I wanted the cheesecake for comfort food or whatever or I was really stoked about losing weight for the wrestling thing. I learned new information before I was making that decision that I'm going to make for string and I have to really, you know, focus on that or uh, there's a new girl that caught my eye and she sent me a text message so I'm going to take the salad so that I don't look fat in addition to the wrestling thing, you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to think of like all the information up until the point where you make the decision. Um, I don't know where that fits into this discussion, but I'm, I'm thinking question, it's not determined at all. It's, it's just a matter of the question is given everything that happened up to that decision. Okay. Is what you are going to do, even if it feels to you like it isn't, is what you are going to do determined. Yeah, I'd say no, and then you're trying to pin me on some sort of scale, though. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so another way to think about this is, you know, um, like, I like burgers more than I like salads, right? Uh, So it's like, if if you give me this option between a burger and what cause liking of burgers more than salads, I mean, I like the way they taste better. Um, Salads, it's just so much work to chew all that lettuce. Uh, (laughs) Is it determined when I get the uh the menu that i'm going to pick a burger well i like burgers more you know i want a burger um, and my other option is a salad which i don't like um isn't my choice a product of my desires and the options that i have available to me and uh so the determinist will go yeah i mean it feels like you make a decision but really what you're doing is you're choosing based on you know all these previous other causal things. All these previous system. other causal things. And, um, and the indeterminist has to say, uh, no, look, uh, even though you have all these desires and uh, you know, beliefs, it's, it's, uh, it was metaphysically possible and perfectly possible for you to, to have chosen otherwise than you did. Um, and I think most people's, uh, initial gut reaction is, of course, I, I could have chosen otherwise than I did. Um, and you go, okay, well, could you have wanted to, you know, why did you want the burger? Because you like burgers more. That was already determined, right? You already like burgers more. Could you have wanted burgers more and wanted burgers today and thought, I really want a burger right now? And said, you know, and done the same, like, since I want a burger right now, I think I'll order the salad. Uh, so we have two pictures neither of which uh, seem like they come without problems. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is teeing us up for the next episode of <laughs> Compatibility. <laughs> so that's, that's going to rescue us from both, apparently. Uh, it might just be the worst of both. <laughs> All right. Okay. So what else is that? Uh, does that wrap up our libertarianism? Uh, or is there any last last comments that you need to throw in for this before we head next episode into compatibilism? 
Um, I mean, if we wanted to bring a faith element into it, we could just say, we do. That, yes. um, you know, it does seem like uh, most religions also, especially religions, uh, you know, that have a, a supernatural and omniscient being um, and that also say that humans are, are in a sense free also want both of these things to be true in a way that seems uh, tough to reconcile, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if an omniscient being knows, uh, you know, not just, you know, I mean, knows even that you were going to exist, then they must have known that your parents were going to get together, et cetera. You know? mm-hmm. um, right. And yet, um, which seems to take away the free will potential argument of the parents or whatever. Yeah. So uh, it's not just that, you know, this is a, a riddle in philosophy. This is a, a riddle in theology too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Because we find uh, our, our picture, especially our, you know, unconsidered picture of God is one that has complete knowledge of something that we think could be differently than it, than it is. Yeah. And, and so that seems. Difficult. And so that, that, I mean, that kind of brings me to the, to the Russ theological argument that I haven't found a ton of support on, but uh, John Polkinghorne horn, I think that's his name uh, was the first guy that was super smart that I think was in line with what I was thinking that it is possible for God, even though omnipotent, omniscience, whatever, all that, all knowing that God could have subjected him or herself to wanting to be constrained to have free agents enter the world so that they would find true love to be with God eternally. And that that's the, to me, the only thing that makes sense with the trying to reconcile time and everything. And I've spent a number of years now looking for biblical support and otherwise that potentially God is in a sense, uh, doesn't know what we're going to do next, essentially, is where I'm going with that. Well, then aren't you just denying God's omniscience? That's... No, no, I'm not. That, that's, that, that might be the economist to me. So I, I think it's, it was an intentful uh, constraint, because to know everything is to really know nothing. I don't know what that means, and okay. I don't think it makes sense. Okay. And I do think that you are explicitly saying that God is not omniscient. Okay, um, so here we go. Um, basically, if, if you know, if you started like all-knowing, I know everything, right? Um, and this is hard to put us in, in, in the mind of God, but this is what I attempt to do when I'm in church. So um, if, if you already know the full outcome, basically, of, of the picture and everything, you really haven't learned anything. So to know absolutely everything is, to me, the logical equivalent of knowing nothing. You're not any further ahead. If you can call into existence this knowledge and boom, it's there, you're not really, it's like, I I like to think of it as Ken and Barbie playing with dolls, right? So kids, when they're infants, they're like, okay, let's play house. And and then you kind of know what Ken and Barbie are doing and you raise the hand and you mow the lawn or whatever. Like you make Ken and Barbie do all of that but soon you get kind of bored with that. And so to me, what God said was, oh, I got an idea. Let's give Ken and Barbie free will and actually allow them to go through and make their own decisions. And I'm going to intentfully not peek ahead into the future so that I know they truly love me. And now I've got something 
by introducing true uncertainty that has meaning. I think you're explicitly denying omniscience. Omniscience <laughs> means that you know everything and, uh, okay, and, well, that, you, and that you can't learn agree. anything, right? And Okay, yeah, to, uh, to know everything is to know nothing. All well, right, so. Uh, just to not be able to learn anything, right? Uh, so I'm not saying, I don't quite buy your to know everything is to know nothing, because I think that's a contradiction. Um, <laughs> but I do agree with you that to know everything, it means in the sense that you, there's nothing left for you to learn, right? You can't yeah. learn anything. Yeah. 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 Um, but that, that just is what omniscience means. So if you want to redefine okay. omniscience and say the type of omniscience I have in mind is this, and I think maybe it was wrong to describe God as omniscient in the sense that what this means, then, then I think that's I, I guess what I'm saying is I think the omniscience is where it started, but then uh, God being all-powerful, all-knowing, all this, knew a way to constrain himself so that we would have meaning, so that he would have meaning. And, so and render purpose. himself not omniscient in at yeah. least one. Okay, I would agree with okay. that, yeah. 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 To, to basically put a binding constraint on himself. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say this a lot, but that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yes, vindication. Uh, I mean, and another thing you could say is just, look, um, I, as, you know, a human being, I'm not going to be able to think my way into what, you know, God thinks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's exactly, uh, yeah. And I yeah. think that's also a perfectly valid move. That and that's where I'm kind of at, too. Like, I'm yeah. not trying to prove, uh, like, I don't really know this for sure, but it makes sense to me, like, of what I know about what we see and what we do. So I think sometimes atheists try to, uh, you know, do this well omniscience means no and therefore you can't have free will and blah 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 and i think it's a it's a perfectly valid move to just go look i i don't claim to know the mind of god and uh yeah. the idea of what it must be like to be a god is to be god is so foreign to me that right. uh, i don't have to try to explain what it's like from his point of view right um, right right well, and, and just to add on to this from a biblical standpoint is I've looked at Bible verses trying to figure out if like there's something said in the Bible that would contradict my view on that. And the only thing I've come close to is uh, the rooster crowing three times. So it's, it's that dealt with a person um, with the denial of Jesus. And it's like God kind of peeked ahead in the future. But otherwise I kind of look at a lot of the Bible verses and my dad has scoured it cause I've pitched this to him and, and he's like, Oh, that can't be right. And well, what about this? What about this? But all the future foreign uh, future telling that, that the Bible does um, God being omnipotent can arrange the chess pieces so that it comes to be as time is elapsing. So it's still a powerful God that can, um, how should I say, align the chess pieces? I don't know a better way to put that, but to kind of have things happen that were foretold to happen, it's possible for an all-powerful God to kind of, set, not not forcing a robot human being to do it, but just to have that stuff happen. Certainly through natural phenomenon, that would, that would be easy, uh, whether it's flood or pestilence or something else. But Some kind so, of shepherding? 
Yeah, kind of shepherding. Like uh, I said, this was going to happen, and so this, and that's where I go back to the rooster crowing is about the best example. And so then, I've kind of reconciled my theory to be well, if just because he peaked ahead in time for the denial with the rooster crowing, doesn't mean he did that for every other human being, right? It was to fulfill his mission that he might have peaked ahead a little bit on Peter denying, but that doesn't mean we can draw the conclusion that, oh, God knows everything for everyone all the time. Now, that looks like a good place to wrap. And then we can, we can challenge on that at a future time. And listeners, I, I feel free to bring your emails in on me, your wrath of terror. But uh, John Polkinghorne was, uh, he is a, it was cool because he's a uh, uh, metaphysicist and, uh, and a theologian. So he did quantum mechanics. He did all of that stuff. And he kind of, all of a sudden I stumbled onto it on YouTube. I'm like, oh, wow. He just said what I kind of just uh, went over. So, all right. Well, other than that, uh, this has been a presentation of the Gortney Institute here at Ottawa University. Appreciate you all listening. If you want to give us a five-star rating, that would be awesome. Help us bump up. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.